You are listening to episode 88 of the Less Stress, More Fun podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the concept both and. You are listening to the Less Stress, More Fun podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Coach Lisa Schwaller. Each week on the podcast, we talk about how you can rise above the stress of modern living so that you can focus your energy on what matters most and have a lot more fun in the process. All right, let's get started. Oh, I am both energized and relaxed. I am ready to go. Let's get started with this concept that I'm so excited to share. This one has changed my life entirely. It's something that it's so simple. A lot of the things that we learn that actually amplify and accelerate our ability to have fun in our life and to get what we want done and reduce and or even sometimes eliminate stress and anxiety, they're not necessarily complicated. In fact, in most of most of the times, the reason they work so well is that they're just elegant truths. And this is definitely one of those concepts. And I also believe that words are powerful. What makes human very unusual from other mammals, as far as we know, is that we have defined language. I mean, obviously, other mammals probably have all their other languages and trees talk to each other. They're in their own chemical and even verbalizing ways. But we are very, very verbal creatures. And we talk to ourselves constantly. We're narrating the world. We're narrating ourselves. We use words to connect with each other. Words, language, are an extremely valuable and important part of how we relate not only to the world at large and individually, but to ourselves as well. So the words we use in our thinking are very powerful. And I have always thought words matter, individual words, because each individual word for most of us is encoded in as a concept. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you both and. <laughs> this concept is so fun because it it runs a little bit counter to our brain's default approach to life. Our brains love to sort. We are open to the world with all of our senses, our sight, our sound, our hearing, taste even, and we're deciding, is this safe or not? Is this good or bad? Is this for me or not for me? And as we develop in our relationship with ourselves, over time, we start to use sorting language to describe ourselves. Some people live in a world of variation, and some are this or that. A few examples are, I'm organized or I'm disorganized. Like there's a spectrum, and we might sort ourselves along that spectrum. I'm a good friend or a bad friend. I'm interesting or I'm boring. I can have work that I love or money, but not both. Or we see people who have both and we think, I don't know, that seems like there's got to be a trade-off. There's got to be the sorting mechanisms. A lot of the puzzles that our minds bring to us to solve or what we call problems are this or that. And most of the time, our mind is sorting 
And there's thinking related to identity or expectations underneath all that thinking. So that's really like my jam in life is to really help people understand how they've used language to encode their identity and expectations for themselves and others and know what's there and decide what to keep on purpose or if some of this or that identity and expectation thinking is not what you want to choose. How do you practice changing the way you react to your reactions? Pause and reflect for a moment. How often do you use this or that as you're thinking about yourself, your life, decisions you make, other people, and situations in all areas of your life? That's your brain figuring out how safe and familiar is this situation, and then sorting accordingly. I see something commonly in adult minds, which is that we're very often sorting between good or bad and right or wrong, as if life were as simple as when we were a child. So if you spend a lot of time with a two-year-old or a three-year-old, they do have good or bad thinking or right or wrong thinking. But it becomes very subtly ingrained in us, even as we age in the decades of our adulthood. If you think about where this comes from, it's actually a brilliant strategy on behalf of our brains. So imagine that two-year-old picking up a cucumber for a first time. Do I bite it? Do I put it in my ear? Do I throw it? (laughs) They're receiving signals from their own inherent intelligence, and then the humans around them about which way is right or wrong, even though, quite honestly, with a cucumber, you could bite it, you could put it in your ear, and you could throw it. It, These little humans pay attention to their environment to make a decision about what to do next. Now, imagine a child at a playground. We're going to call this one Kid One. And Kid One is scooping sand into a, a bucket. And another kid comes along, kid number two, and steals the shovel out of kid one's hand. And then kid one bites kid two. Are you getting a mental image here? And and chances are kid one will, they'll look at this situation and they will feel bad and they will have a reaction that becomes maybe coded in for them. Did kid one do something wrong? What happened to me? I just got my toys taken away and this kid bit me. Or is kid, you know, does kid one think kid two is wrong? These experiences as young children already start uh, us to have an identity of when something happens, whether we assign right or wrong to us or the other person or circumstance. And we learn so many interpretations from interactions with people over our lives. And we have these interactions, we react, and it's very common to have some part of our brain decide right or wrong, good or bad. And then as we mature, I think most of us learn the lesson that the more right behaviors we have, whether other people think we're right or we think we're right, equate to being good people or at least better people, (laughs) which causes a lot of internal confusion Because if we have results that we label wrong, 
then our brain is like, oh, well, when I do wrong things, then I maybe I'm bad or not as good. This system of interpretation, right or wrong, good or bad, is is it becomes part of our operating system as we go through the world. And it can cause a lot of discomfort when we're actually going to change behaviors or set and reach for goals. And to be clear, I think the system of authority, whatever that means, is hoping people will make the right decision and be good so that we have less disorder and weight on the system, right? So the system of authority has a vested interest in people doing good and getting things right. Over time, it's hard to distinguish between our behaviors, the things we do, and our identity, the person we think we are. This gets amplified when the feedback we receive comes from people that we consider authority or from people whose connection is valuable to us. It makes perfect sense why our brains would sort. So if if your manager gives you feedback, are you supposed to take it? The system of authority would say, yes. If it's someone that you love, if you're if your partner who you're trying to you you love them, you want them to be happy. If they give you what you would label negative feedback, are you supposed to take it? You know, like what's the right, wrong, good, bad sorting mechanism around receiving feedback from others. And I think that feedback is qualified based on the source. Isn't it amazing how functional our brains are and that they'll do all this sorting for us and make all these interpretations? If we had to decide every single time, it might be an extra burden. I would offer that actually slowing things down and doing more intentional on purpose sorting can be amazing. Look at what's maybe coming up in your own mind for you as you hear me describing these scenarios and then thinking about moving into both and and. Let's talk about both and scenarios. I am good at making jokes to break the ice in professional meetings. And sometimes I'm bad at keeping the jokes out of business meetings. (laughs) Ah, that's funny. So when I think about, you know, there's kind of this good, bad dynamic, but when I add in the end, I make the possibility that I might be funny and that's something people appreciate when they work with me and I might be funny and sometimes it may not be the right time or place. Let's give another example. I care a lot about my friends and do my best to support them using the gifts, using my strengths. And I don't reach out to friends and family as frequently as some of them would like. Now, looking at that, does that make me good at relationships or bad at relationships? Well, I guess, first of all, it depends on who you ask. For example, I have a a couple of, of friends and we keep in touch through a text group. And we can go for weeks not talking to each other and then pop in and we pick up like yesterday. Dropping the conversational thread is not a problem in this group. And I have had some people where, um, like I'm thinking of a, a family member who was very frustrated that I wouldn't respond very quickly. But my phone 90% of the time is in another room or in my purse or something. 
I just don't like hanging out with my phone all day long. It's just that it depends on who you ask. Am I good at relationships or bad as it relates to texting? Well, now I've decided I'm just both and. It depends. I'm a great friend and sometimes I don't keep in touch in the way that may amplify that particular relationship. How about another example? I'm both a great mother who is a great listener and an annoying mom who likes things just so. Truly, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? I'm thinking of a situation where most of the time I'm laid back, go with the flow, um, do what you want to do, ask me for help. And I had a situation recently where my kitchen was in use for several hours and there was flour everywhere and things everywhere. And I and I just remember thinking like, what's going on in there? Um, am I going to have to clean up after the cleanup? It's one of the areas where I can be a little bit of a hover mother. So both and. The more I use both and for myself as it relates to my own identity and my performance, I find that I create a lot less pressure in myself about myself. I feel a lot less pressure to perform. And this is the best part. The more I catch my this or that thinking and replace it with both and and, the more adventurous I am, the more things I try and the more success I create. For example, recently I taught a new class on a topic that I'm workshopping. I'm building a a course library and refining some of the topics that I'm going to have available. It was both a learning experience. There was a lot of things that as I was teaching live, I realized, oh, that's a little clunky. That wasn't as smooth. Oh, that was probably a little too much information. Or I didn't explain that enough. And it was amazing. We all had such a good time together. I want to change it and I'm ready to schedule another test run. I want to go find another audience and test it out again. The words both and and expand the possibility for me. It makes learning bigger. It breaks it down from just being a two-dimensional person into being fully expressed We all have our ups and downs and triumphs and foibles. And the word inclusive or inclusivity is in the conversation now, which is wonderful. But I also think we use it as far as relationships between companies and people or between people and other people. I love the idea of having an inclusive mindset that you practice first with yourself both, and. I want to live in the city and live in a rural area. I mean, how could that be possible? I want to collaborate in person and work in a location-independent career. Well, how could that be possible? I want to meet a lot of new people and have a lot of conversation, and I want to have a lot of downtime for myself. How could that be possible? Notice when I say, oh, I have these desires, instead it would be like, well, uh, it's either this or that. And when I say, no, I have these desires that at face value feel like they're in conflict with each other. But what if it's possible that they're compatible? What if it's possible that there could be both and? Think of the different areas of your life, money, business or career, 
romantic relationships, family, friendships, your health, hobbies. Write down your most frequent opinions about yourself for each area of your life. Then ask yourself, am I good or bad in this area of my life? And just see what comes up automatically. It can be so fun to let that sorting mind tell you your unfiltered opinion about yourself. And then ask yourself, do I do this area of my life right or wrong? And again, your mind is likely to offer you an automatic answer. Wow, that's such great information. We don't always know what our mind's subconscious or not obvious thinking is about ourselves. And when we ask questions like this, it it allows that thinking to come to the surface. Are you good with money? Or do you make the wrong choices? What came up automatically? So play this week. Notice what you think of yourself. And if you sort your behaviors and identity into good, bad, right, wrong. And it's possible, theoretically, of course, that someone could think this about themselves. I'm great with money, and I make a ton of choices that are just plain wrong. Both and. Because you get to think about yourself any way you want. We believe that we crowdsource our opinion about ourselves in some ways, but you can decide anything you want, whether it's based in reality or not. One of the fun gifts or games from this work, something that can be so fun as you're expanding your life possibility is to just be delusional about yourself for a while. Why not? Try on, not not to gaslight yourself or to fake it till you make it, but to see whether it pushes the edges of possibility for yourself. You know, if if I walk around in the world thinking I am a a horrifyingly ugly troll, or I walk around in the world thinking I'm the most beautiful woman alive, other people are still going to have their own opinions about me, but which one is going to feel great to me, right? And that is a absolute key to the less stress, more fun lifestyle is knowing how much choice you have in generating your own experience of being you. Ask yourself, would you like to become the authority of your self-concept using a tool like both and? So in the next week, pay attention to how you talk to yourself, how often you sort, and even make a coffee or tea date with yourself to spend five to 10 minutes every day reflecting on what you're noticing. This is such a fun conversation. I love to bring this concept to people because it's such a simple practice and it's such a beautiful example of how a coaching mindset can change your life. And with that, I'd just like to say I'm both satisfied by what we've shared together today and I wish we could talk more. Huh, isn't that expansive? Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review wherever you listen. This will help other listeners find the show and bring less stress, more fun out into the world. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next week.